0: Welcome to the Nicolay Wealth Management Investment Podcast. On this episode, you will hear Adam Longley and Mike Steppe talk about how to find strong yields that are exempt from federal income taxes. They will also discuss new car sales and the average interest rate on new and used car loans. And listen in as the team examines supply chain issues and why the value of the US dollar has been changing lately. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss the latest updates on investment management, the economy, and much more in this podcast hosted by Anthony Wilhelms of Nicolet Wealth Management.
1: Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of the Nicolet Wealth Management podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Wilhelms, and joining me as always are Mike Steppy and Adam Longley. Mike, will you kick us off with an update on what's going on in financial markets over the last couple of weeks?
2: Sure, this year sure stays interesting. The economic data over the past month has been pretty clear in reinforcing a couple of the trends we've talked about. First of all, the strong employment, that continues. Higher than expected inflation. So inflation's coming down, but it's sticky in a couple of places. And so it hasn't come down as much as people expected. Housing has been weak, and we've seen a decrease in manufacturing activity. So after a strong equity market in January, the market has retreated modestly in February. So in January, market was up 6% to 8%. In February, we're down a couple of percent. So that's that's been uh, sort of... of a bit of a a downer in terms of the market in the equity side. In the bond market, yield levels are toward the higher end of the trading range that we've seen since September. If you go back to last year, from about February through September, the trend was straight up in rates. It was just a consistent move up. Since September, we're moving sideways. We're in a trading pattern. Uh, if you look at like the five-year Treasury note as an example, since September, it's average 391, and today we're at the higher end at a 421. The two-year, same thing, average 438 since September, we're currently at a 480. The big thing to look at in the, in the fixed income market is the yield curve is still inverted, and we're near the widest that we've seen in about 40 years. So this is a significant signal to the markets that the market's still worried about what's going to happen and the economic outlook. The Fed is expected, because inflation's been high, to raise overnight rates. And the expectation right now is that rates are going to go up 75 basis points over the next couple of months. We've got an FOMC meeting in March. Expectation is up 25 We've got one on May 3rd, expectation of another 25, and then a meeting on June 14th. So overnight rates are expected to probably get up and peak at around five and three eights. That's about 25 basis points higher than what we would have said a month ago. The other thing to look at is since September, the dollar weakened by about 11.3%, and has now rebounded about 4%. Most of that is because interest rate differentials narrowed in January, but then widened back out as we've seen this increase in short-term rates especially. This helps importers and domestic equities relative to, um, to foreign equities. And we've seen that in terms of the performance, especially in the emerging markets. So that's sort of the backdrop of what we've seen in the market.
1: Mike, when you say interest rate differentials, you're referring to U.S. versus international bonds. What, do, what else does that mean to you? And why does that affect the longer term? So think five and 10 year bond rates.
2: I think of it every morning I come in and the first thing I look at is what's our rates versus German Bund. So if you look at a 10-year Treasury note versus a 10-year German bond, this morning, the 10-year Treasury was at a 394, and the German Bund was at a 255. So if you're a foreign investor, if you're in Germany, and you're looking and you're saying, hey, I can buy my uh, my my interest rate that I can buy in a, in a domestic, if I'm German, Bund is 255 how does that compare to the Treasury? And if I look, and if, there's, if that's wide enough, I'm gonna make that investment. For me, who spends a lot of my life thinking about U.S. fixed income investments, that means I'm gonna see more foreign buying of, of U.S. Treasuries, and that's gonna be a big impact in the market. Again, we're a global market, not just a domestic market. So that's why I focus on that.
1: That makes a lot of sense. When you think of that inverted yield curve, so meaning shorter term rates are higher than, I think you said about 480, 4.8% for a two-year versus about 2.5% for a 10-year. Do you 394 expect...
2: 394 on a
1: 10-year. Sorry, 394 on the 10-year. Um, do you expect the market to push the rates on the 10-year up to catch up to those shorter term rates? So they push up over five, and you said maybe terminal of five and a quarter on Fed funds, or do you expect the yield on the shorter term bonds to come down below the 10-year at some point?
2: I think it's going to be a combination of the two, Anthony. Sorry to do that, uh, but I think it's going to be, you're going to, and it's going to be sequenced. I think you're going to see the 10-year treasury in the short run rising a bit, okay? So if today we're at 394, I wouldn't be surprised if that got up to four, four and a quarter, somewhere in that. So a lift there. That that can happen relatively quickly. And we've been seeing sort of this increase in, in longer-term rates, so that wouldn't shock me. Over the next year, I would expect short-term rates in the beginning of 2024, so a year from now, to start moving back down. So eventually the yield curve will flatten. And so I think that it'll happen with a a sequenced combination of those two things.
1: I love it. Such a good way to answer it. A little bit of both. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm going to come over to you with a question about Auto sales, Mike touched on inflation and some things being sticky. We talked a year ago where auto sales were crazy used car prices, but there's been some excitement in that segment lately. Can you speak to that?
0: Yeah. So, so far this year, car sales have had a really good start to the year. But part of that is explained by how poor uh, the year prior was in 2022. So last year, you had one of the worst years for car sales in, in over 10 years. Um, the u s sold about almost a little under fourteen million new cars. that was down almost ten percent for the year the year prior. You know, that was largely because there was a shortage of parts supply chain was had issues, and so you didn 't have any inventory and that really negatively impacted um the car sales but and it 's interesting, so the different car manufacturers were f- affected differently so g m you know they were able to grow their sales last year by almost three percent. But then you had Honda, their sales were down over 30%. So you can kind of see who had the most supply chain problems and, and problems getting inventory um, to the to the dealers. You know, Expectations for this year, we started the year, we were expecting 15 million cars. That's about 10% growth. After a really good January, expectations are now 15 and a half, maybe 16. So things have gotten up to a good start. Expectations are being raised. A lot of that is just pent up demand for cars. There's also these dealers are rebuilding their inventories. Um, then you're also seeing fleet demand. And essentially that's, think about car rentals. So those car rental companies are, are buying new cars, they're rebuilding their fleets, especially if any of their fleets had been damaged with, with, with the hurricanes in the south. So as you would expect, um, pricing is, is up significantly given uh, the high demand. You're also seeing dealers know whatever they put on the lot is going to sell. So there's an incentive for them to get the most expensive cars possible. And that means getting cars loaded with options. And then they're able to put a markup on, on those as well. So you're seeing quite a bit of that. The The average price of a new car is, is up significantly. You know, will it last? Um, not sure. I, I would throw this out there to consider. Um, the interest rate on a new car loan is is now eight and a half percent. You know, we had a long period of time where it was zero or one or two. Um, the interest rate on a used car loan is now 13 percent. So the, if you do the math, high car prices, high interest rates, the average monthly payment on a car is almost $800 right now. That's the highest ever. You, you got to think at some point that's going to put some that's going to be a headwind to. The demand.
1: Wow. You left me almost losing track of my next question as I'm thinking of a 13 or an 8.5% car loan and an average car payment of $800. What that will mean as we think of that from a lender perspective on mortgages and things like that with personal balance sheets. Uh, I'm sure I'll come up with another question related to that in a minute, but Adam, I'll stick with you uh, talk a little bit about now that we've seen earnings come in from s and p companies what you've
0: been seeing yeah we're we're almost done We're talking about fourth quarter year end earnings so four out of five companies are reported um it's It's clear now that there's there is no earnings growth in in the fourth quarter it, it, as a as an aggregate the s and p five hundred earnings were down about three percent. Um, there was only three sectors that grew earnings in the fourth quarter. Not surprisingly, it was, it was the energy sector as well as industrials. And then, uh, actually real estate was able to grow earnings as well. I'd also mention there was, um, four sectors that did better than expected. Otherwise the rest of the 11 sectors did worse. So consumer staples did a little bit better, meaning earnings declined less, healthcare declined less, materials declined less, and then real estate actually grew more than expected. Um, and then if you look at sales, so sales growth was positive. Um, it was actually 5% sales growth in, instead of four, so it was better than expected. But the real delta was that, that margin, margin contraction, which is kind of a theme we've been talking about for a while.
1: Uh, question related to both the auto conversation and the sales versus margin piece. How are supply chains doing? Is there availability of materials? Is the, the bottleneck labor and pricing on materials, is it still escalating quickly?
0: I see. Supply chains are, are getting back to normal. It depends on the industry. You can look at different things like the cost of transportation, whether it's uh, around the world or, or in the US, those prices have come back to more normal levels. Spot rate on trucking has fallen significantly. So th- things are returning to normal. There's still some commodity inflation out there as well as um, call it middlemen or middle businesses, are they're, they're buying their commodities at more normal levels, but they're still getting very healthy pricing. And it's the end consumer that's, that's ultimately is paying uh, the higher prices today.
1: Sure. Well, it certainly sounds like it with the conversation related to autos. Mike, I'll come over to you back to interest rate related Fed and what the terminal rate for increases will be from the Fed and how maybe how consumers will feel that as well.
2: Sure. Overnight rates seem like they're going to go to probably five and three eighths. And then stay there for a while. The Fed has learned from the past that they the key mistake that they often make is not not really attacking inflation and keeping rates high enough for long enough to, to to really bring inflation down. So they the stop and go policies that have been tried in the past have been ineffective. So I think they're going to really try to make this stick, and that's going to call for a for. Above five percent uh, overnight rates, and I think that'll stick for this year. So I think as we look out through December, that will likely be what we'll see. Five and three eighths will be sort of the the rate.
1: We talk a lot about these overnight rates or fund Fed funds rates. Why should a consumer care about them, or how does how is a consumer affected by these rates moving?
2: The the biggest the impact is that impacts what you get on money market accounts. Money market accounts sort of track with that. So you'll see those short those rates on short-term investments going up.
1: So people that are depositors or have savings should be saying this is better. But people who are borrowing money shorter term like Adam talking about those car loans which might be 3-5 maybe 7 years that they're the ones feeling the hurt of these rates going up and lines of credit things like that so home equity lines of credit does that makes is that right
2: absolutely and that's what we've been talking about for the past year on these podcasts is this idea that there's been this fundamental shift in the economy when the fed pulled interest rates down that benefited borrowers and it hurt savers and now as they're they're reversing this the exact opposite happens the savers really are cheering and yes, this is good. And the borrowers are hurting. And so you see that across the economy.
1: Mm, That makes sense, I appreciate the explanation there. Adam, you talked a bit about what sectors were doing well. Um, You said uh, consumer staples, healthcare, uh, real estate, materials. What are you seeing from size of company? Do you see any outperformance in large cap, small cap value or growth?
0: yeah look looking forward, um, in a market that you can kind of characterize as high inflation and interest rates moving higher, uh, I think you you want to consider being overweight small u s companies as well as um, medium-sized companies in the in the past, u s. small caps, especially value stocks, and generally unperformed uh, large u s companies. Um, and not only that, the relative outperformance has historically persisted for multiple years. It's it's a, a multiple year kind of cycle. Um, and if you go back to call it the '30s, small stocks are they're they're really the only major asset class that has consistently outperformed inflation every decade. And so I think fundamentally, the outperformance makes sense. Small companies they have some advantages like. They tend to have more pricing power. That's, that's a very important in high inflationary periods. These small companies, they tend to operate in niche industries, call it underserved areas of the market. They have less competition. Um, small companies might have products or services that are a small part of a larger, more complicated process. And that gives them a lot of pricing power. Uh, the pricing power also um, means they can protect or expand their margins. You know, we've, we've been talking about margin contraction. Big companies have seen 150 basis points of margin contraction here recently. Um, And and when it's all said and done, that should translate into more meaningful um, earnings growth compared to larger companies. And and then on top of that, as we sit here today, small caps have more attractive valuations um, relative to um, large caps, and you don't see that very often. Um, And and when you get to these levels where there's relative um, valuation is attractive, there's essentially a a catch up trade that they tend to outperform going off the the market bottoms or or relative troughs like we see potentially today. uh, Small caps, uh, you know, on average, they're they're quite a bit higher a a year later and and two years later, they historically they've they've doubled um, when when we've been at these levels before. So i would I would consider um, small caps, and I would specifically consider tilting towards towards value.
1: Well, it's nice when we get to a world where both fundamentals and technicals of price level and the logic behind the outperformance or future outperformance are uh, at the same place. So I appreciate that guidance and explanation there Adam Mike, to one of the most interesting topics always geopolitical risks. There's no shortage of things we could talk about here, but can you hit some of the highlights?
2: Sure, or maybe lowlights, uh, when you think about it. The the big things right now, there's three of them out there. The first is is we really don't know how Putin is going to react to the developments in Ukraine. So that continues to be the biggest wild card out there. And linked to that is the China-Taiwan tensions and how they how that plays out, and then you've got you've got this lingering in the background, Iran and sort of their nuclear capabilities, and how does Israel uh, deal with that in in the Middle East and the overall tensions there? So you've got a you've got a number of things that are that can impact the markets, and um, so you could if if those things start bubbling up, you'll see more of a flight to quality, flight to safety sort of theme that'll emerge. Do you
1: see, I know I didn't prep you with this question, Mike, so I understand if you sidestep it. Do you see more opportunity from surprise to the upside in the market? If there's less bad news, unlikely it feels like we ever see good news, but if the bad news abates or surprise to the downside in markets, if one of these scenarios, Iran, China, Russia it worsens?
2: I think in the short run, there's more downside risk to it. Um, so, no, that would, that would be my answer on that. Presumably
1: that risk is to the equity markets and uh, we'll say investment grade fixed income excluding U.S. Treasuries. As you say, the flight to safety and something like that, does that primarily benefit U.S. dollar and U.S. Treasuries?
2: Sure. That's where money will flow.
1: Sure. Well, that's uh, I appreciate the uh, guidance on that. I know it's a tricky topic every time. Uh, last question I have is related to that topic too, and rate differentials. So you are uh, dollar spreads, dollar U.S. dollar relative to international currencies, maybe the euro specifically. You mentioned that the dollar rallied in twenty twenty two, sold off a little bit at the beginning or end of twenty two and beginning of twenty three, and is back up. I think you said four percent so far this year. What's the trajectory going forward?
2: Boy, I wish I knew. I uh, you really don't. And trying to try, there's so many dynamics that impact the the dollar that it's hard to make a call on that. So you, it's it's better to sort of cap, see what the trends are and what's happening, and and then quickly figure out what that how that's going to impact sectors in both the fixed income and equity market, but making a projection on that sort of futile. I think (laughs) You're not going to let
1: me record that, are you, Mike? I get it. (laughs) No problem. I'll ask again in a few weeks and see if I catch you in a different state with that one. Uh, Adam and Mike, I always enjoy it. This this time flies by for me. Uh, Thank you to our audience for joining us. We always appreciate you taking the time. That Mike, I'll turn it to you for some parting comments.
2: A couple of times over the last couple of months, I've talked about short-term investing in in, uh, one-year treasury bills. Uh, This time I'm gonna talk about, I think there's a really good opportunity in six-year to nine-year municipal bonds. So if you look at a muni bond out to 2030, so a seven-year municipal bond, the yield on that, the municipal yield is 3%. If you look at that on a taxable equivalent, you're going to get a little over 460 if you're in a 35% tax bracket. So for, for people that are that are in the higher tax brackets, if you can lock in to taxable equivalent yields of between four, six and five percent, I think you'll feel pretty good on that as a core base to your portfolio. So if if you've got that, I think that's that's really uh, attractive right now.
1: That's a great point. Adam, parting thoughts from you.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, we, we talk about wealth management and we often talk about, about investing. Um, I would encourage people to also look at, call it the other side of the balance sheet. If, if you have debt review it, you know, we talked about mortgages at 7% credit card interest rates on average are 19% car loans, nine or 13%. So if you do have debt, I would encourage you to look at what, what the rates are and, and And see if carrying that debt um, still makes sense. Um, and if and if you have the ability to move things around, I would I'd at least take a look at it, and that'd be a good time.
1: That's great. Well, thank you both. I'll look forward to speaking with everybody again soon.